Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I am your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. Tommy? What's up, Angel? And this evening, we have a special guest. Tommy, would you like to introduce our special guest? Yes. Uh, this uh, also bald-headed uh, young man. We could put our heads together and make an ass out of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I know Duke uh, probably... I don't know, since the mid-80s, I guess, right? I, I broke in in 86. When did you, what year did you break in? Well, well let's start the interview off right away. Uh, yeah, if, we're doing if, it. As from, from the very beginning, Duke, if you can give us your history, um, you, who you were influenced by in wrestling, who you were trained by, uh, what promotions did you work for, any championships you gained, um, maybe, you know, give us everything uh, right up until the end of your uh, wrestling career, if you could, uh, it, and just pretend like we're not here. Talk and let us know everything about Duke. Well, all I could say is if you weren't there, I wouldn't be elaborating. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, I was, uh, I was an avid wrestling fan as a young boy. Uh, I wrestled in high school my uh, senior year. I uh, got a first place uh, trophy in the light heavyweight uh, division. Uh, graduated high school, went to work got married, had three kids at a very early age. And then uh, accidentally, I found out that uh, I could make myself some pretty good side money back at that time uh, in the ring, being that I had a wrestling uh, background that I always kept myself in good shape. My original trainer was not an official trainer, but he was, uh, he was a name. Uh, he wrestled under the name of Plowboy. He, he was a professional strongman. Uh, he was the uh, heavyweight um, freestyle wrestling champion in the Navy. And, Frazier? Uh, he was, pardon? I think it was Frazier, no? No, no. My original Frazier? was uh, Plowboy. His real name was, um, he used the name uh, Chuck Berger once. Oh. Uh, his actual name was uh, uh, Harold uh, Trachtenberg. Uh, uh -huh. But nevertheless. What year uh, was it, Duke? That was 1974. Okay. Wow. Well, what school was this in? Where you uh, where were you located at the time? Uh, at the time, I was living in uh, Brooklyn, New York, which I still am. I'm still a resident there. I just recently bought a house in uh, Marine Park, and of course, expenses were pretty high. Yeah. And he talked me into letting him train me for the ring. And uh, normally, at that time, you didn't get a match. Nobody would book you uh, unless you had at least six months of training in. He got me work in, in, after three months of training, and uh, he he really he he really knew how to train a guy to be tough. And he always used to tell me, "If you can't take the beatings from me that I'm going to give you, you're not going to be able to take the beatings that you get in the ring from the other wrestlers." Mm. And he taught me all the basic ins and outs. After a period of time, I hooked up with another uh, gentleman, uh, Mr. Tito Torres. May he rest in peace. Tito was not only a very good wrestler. But he was an, ex an, ex an exceptional teacher. He was a very patient man. He enjoyed training his students. He was a true gentleman. And the one thing that I did like about him, even away from the ring, was that he knew how to communicate with troubled children. And that was a very important asset as far as I was concerned. Sure. Through him later, I met Bobby Bold Eagle. Yes. And the Bobby was a worker. That man, let me tell you something, that man was incredible. Every country he went to, 
And where he traveled was quite a lot. He learned the styles. He learned the styles and memorized them and taught that to his students. Uh, I became a New York City corrections officer in 1979, and I had to drop out of wrestling. But I got reinvolved in 1987. And at that time, Bobby retrained me and trained me better than I, than I had ever been uh, pre- previously. Uh, I wrestled straight up until 2001 when the business became uh, became a sideshow. <laughs> and I decided that uh, it's no longer a place for a, a serious-minded, uh, um, trained, uh, you know, re- you know, ring grappler. Who so, were you uh, working for uh, in between that time? Uh, what promotions were you working for in what territory area? Okay, I was working at the time. When I came back in 87, I started to work for All-American Wrestling, which was Tito Torres's federation. It wasn't a big federation. They didn't promote tremendous shows, but there was a strong fraternity there. The boys they had kind of brotherhood. It was a family, and um, Tito... Tito took care of the boys as best as he possibly could. He wasn't a rich man. He didn't make a lot of money, but he did the very best he could, and his heart was in it, and that was very important to me. There was nothing deceptive about him. He always spoke the truth. Even even if it was a hard thing to swallow, he would always tell you what was truly on his mind, and that, to me, was a very good thing. Refreshing Uh, modesty in the business. Yes. Well, modesty in the business today is almost impossible to find, and that's another reason why I left. Right. You know, it's not a simple question of your pride. You don't get involved because you want to be a hero. You get involved because, for one thing, you're involved because it's a business and it entails money. For another thing, you have a fr- there was a fraternity there. Everybody looked out for one another. If I had a problem, somebody would uh, one or more of the fellows would come to me and ask if there was anything they can do. If a fellow just uh, recently became a new father or something like that, everybody took up a big collection for him and all. Things of that nature. That's the way it goes. Nice family. Everyone everyone looked out for one another. Today, it's every man for himself. So it simply is not the place for me. How many spots can I get in? How many spots can I get in? That's it. See, from All-American Wrestling, I went to... um, Tommy D's uh, uh, UWA, and I did some work for him. Uh, with the uh, with that federation, I worked from 1990 to about 1994. Uh, Tommy w- promoted some very good shows, but Tommy was definitely, in my opinion, not an honorable man as far as uh, promoting was concerned. Uh, many many had been the night the, the fellows went home uh, with an empty pocket. They always got they got an excuse instead of a pay night. Um, it was uh, it was a very hard thing to deal with, and uh, he was a very hard person to deal with. And I just uh, simply uh, you know, but I just had it over my head. I washed my hands, and that was it. I went to work for IWCCW, that was International World Class Championship Wrestling, that was uh, promoted by the uh, Savoldis. And although it wasn't as big as uh, WWE, it was still big enough to cover quite a bit of the United States. They promoted some excellent shows, and I mean excellent shows. They had top talent, and uh, it was televised, of course, which was uh, another um, asset. 
And these, um, like I say, these these men were truly businessmen who were very devoted to um, to the business, and they were just as devoted to the boys. And some of them, well, remember Tom Farnini, boy, that guy could <laughs> yell like he'd yell like a drill sergeant, but he had a heart of gold. He really did. So they were a lot of fun to work with. Now, during these times, uh, Duke, what was your um, your persona and gimmick? Like, what did you do in the ring? Well, in actuality, being from the old school, mm-hmm. I didn't depend too much on gimmicks. My the attire that I wore was just simply my wrestling uh, my wrestling boots, my trunks, nothing more. Uh, I didn't wear face makeup. I didn't wear costumes. I didn't yell all sorts of crazy nonsense in front of a camera. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to go into that ring. I just simply went in that ring to take care of business and then uh, grab my shower, get dressed, and go home. Uh, it was as simple as that. I was a, I was a brawler. Mm-hmm. I was a full-contact brawler. And the boys always knew one thing. I was never in that ring for that tip-tap stuff. When you clout me, you better put everything you got into it because I'm going to wallop you just as hard. And that's the way we were trained back, in, back that, during the, the Bruno era. That's the only way I could work. See, Tommy, if I wanted to be an actor, I'd have gone to Hollywood. But I did not want to be an actor. I wanted to be a trained fighter. Mm-hmm. And I, needless to say, I feel that... Um, in my own way, I was I was a success. Absolutely, yeah, great presence. You know, you look like a wrestler. Everybody knew you were, and he took it seriously. And I, I'm from the same cloth. I would rather, you know, uh, hurt maybe not just you know potato you a little than miss or have you sell a phantom punch. And when adrenaline gets going, I got to know you hit me. Otherwise, I might not even know to register. Uh, let's you know. We're not hurt, gonna kill each other. We're not, you know, ball- it's not ballet. There's there's contact, you know. It may not be in a, a way to hurt somebody, but somebody you get hurt or banged up along the way, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I needed it. I couldn't work it. I like you said, I, I feel like I got cheated if I didn't, you know, get a little beat up, you know, or beat somebody up a little. Well, well, look at it this way, Tommy. All I can say. All I can say about that, you know, you know, about this particular uh, instance is, is that you and I got paid for doing something in a ring that we would have gotten arrested for if we did it in the street yeah. corner. Absolutely, that's true. <laughs> and all I know is I would walk into you know, when, when, when um, Frankie Goodman and a couple other people that Luke booked for cousin cousin Luke, and I walk in and he said it's the usual. You know, I want you guys to move a little furniture. You know, don't be afraid. Be careful. And you want me to be a furniture mover? I'm good. I'll be out of the ring in two minutes and we'll stay outside. Right, Angel? That's all we did. Absolutely. Angel and her guys, Harley Lewis and Domino, opposed mm-hmm. me as a threesome. I was only wrestling one, but it was a great thing. You know, we had a prior history. So to continue that without the pressure of ECW was pretty nice, you know. And we had we had a blast. I'd rather do that's a night off to me, you know. I dragged yeah. I dragged Domino up to my mother in the corner of the bleachers and beat him in front of her and beat him down. And when I went to see her in the hallway, she's crying and laughing. I didn't raise you to be this way. I was like, great, I got you. 
So as Tommy's, some of Tommy's favorite opponents were uh, my team, what uh, would you say, Duke, were some of your most notable opponents, or your very favorite opponents to work with? Well, my very first uh, favorite opponent was someone that I was a fan of back when I was a fan. That mm-hmm. was Dick the Bulldog Brower. Oh, oh yeah. And, and I'll tell you something that, you know, what I like, you know, what really, what really caught my interest about uh, Brower, Mr. Brower, Mr. Brower, that's the only word thing I'll call him, mm-hmm. is the fact that he was just about my height. And that did not stop him from actually being a crowd draw, a, oh. a, true, a true prize winner and everything that went along with it. He had the reputation of being the toughest man in business back at that oh. time. And chances are he was. Now, soon soon after that, we became very friendly. He and I, we became very good friends. And um, we spent the night, he worked in Brooklyn one night, then he spent the night at my house, and we sat up all night long drinking coffee and talking about the business. And this guy who basically had a, had a reputation, really had a, a legit reputation of being crazy, was a very wise and knowledgeable man, too. He always knew money. He knew the, knew the root, roots of uh, get, getting it in the business. And nothing was more important to him than his three children. Wow. That was the most nice. important driving force in his entire life was his three children. And wow. I always had the highest respect uh, for him uh, sure. for that. The one-man uh, riot squad. Yes. The one-man. Well, they referred to him as a one-man riot squad, Mr. Unpredictable. Yes. You know, all these different things. I mean, the things they used, they used to say, he answers doorbells and del- telephones no matter where he is, ah. <laughs> which which, which may very well have been true. But uh, then again, he, like I say, he, he was really wonderful company. He was a good-hearted man. He was a very good-hearted man. Uh, that was my uh, favorite, uh, that was my favorite worker. I got thrown out of the ring on my head by Dr. Jerry Graham, Wow. Back in 1975 wow. in Lynn, Massachusetts, at Manning Bowl, over the top rope, and uh, like I say, I didn't break the fall; <laughs> I went right down on my head. Fortunately, wow. I had hair then, uh, <laughs> so that so that turned that turned out to be a lot of fun. He was also a uh, favorite when I was uh, when I was a youngster. Uh, as time went on, a lot of the good old pros uh, either retired or left because of injuries, things of that nature. So the new set was coming in. Then we had a new fellow who came into the business. He weighed about 245 pounds at the time, and they didn't give him very much hope as far as wrestling was concerned. Uh, he worked under the name of Fabulous Firehawk. Oh, no. oh Billy, Billy, Billy. Billy Firehawk. That's right. Yeah. Yet, yet he still he still made it to places that I didn't make it to. Yeah. So had his so own he, promotion in Vegas and everything, from what I understand. That, that that's right. He yeah. and like I said, and he was also very well liked. Now Billy used to fool a lot of people, including myself. Mm-hmm. We we had a match one night in the middle of July, and the wall that we wrestled in did not have uh, air conditioning. Now, this man was 325 pounds, and he moved like like lightning. Mm. This character, he moved around like like, like lightning. The heat didn't seem to affect him at all, and uh, his breathing was excellent. 
Um, we have a very day heat. Yes, it's almost impossible to work in the humidity because as you're, yeah. as you're inhaling, you're not only breathing in air, you're breathing water in too, and that water is going into your lungs. Yeah. So that's definitely going to choke you off. So, you know, we had our problems. When what he was one of the Bobby Bald Eagles guys at, down at Lower East Side Gym he, in New York. Yes, yes, he was. Yes. He was, mm-hmm. he was one, of the, one of the wrestlers that Bobby retrained. Right. And um, what Bobby installed in Billy Firehawk was something that is more important than physical conditioning. He gave him confidence. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. A lot of confidence. Billy already had confidence, but, you know, you get that extra push from somebody like Bobby who has so much experience and just, you know, just gives you that extra push and, and apologizes yeah. you the way you, you need see, it. You see, Bobby, Bobby Bold Eagle, he had this talent not only how to train people physically or how to train them scientifically. Mm-hmm. He trained them psychologically. And emotionally. And once again, you know, these are these are the people that you no longer see in the business anymore. This is why when I when I quit, I didn't miss it because the only thing I missed was the camaraderie that I had with uh, the good workers. I had come out of retirement in 2010 because uh, Gino Caruso was running a show very close to my community. And I uh, was still still able to help him along. He asked me if I'd come out uh, for a uh, more or less um, a retirement match or whatever. So of all people to match me with, he gives me a, a prison yard match with uh, the Peacemaker, who was a 150% dead ringer for um, the big boss man. Oh, really? Yes. Nice. Same basic wow. thing, you know, uh, he was a corrections officer and things of that nature. Just as big, just as mean looking when you really wow. come right down to it. I'm telling you, this guy had a face. If he looked at a glass of water, the water would have jumped out of the glass and run away. You know? <laughs> so he had a, he did have a very frightening appearance. But then again, he was also uh, he was also very uh, gentlemanly. Uh, what happened was all the fellas. I mean, this over here, this goes to show you where the uh, schoolyard kid, the personality comes out of a grown man. And before I even showed up that night to work, the fellows in the locker room were telling him all sorts of stuff about me, how when the ring, when the ring that bell, I go completely crazy. I lose <laughs> all connection with reason. I just go wild. There had been times where they thought they'd have to get the riot squad to hold me back, things of that nature. And I barely even knew this poor fellow, and they're shaking him up the way they're shaking him up. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, look, fun is fun. I got a sense of humor also. But, guys, that just wasn't right. That was dead wrong because now you're sending the guy into the ring already psyched out. People up a little bit sometimes just to see how they react, you know, better mm-hmm. for your personal yeah. entertainment. Uh, it, uh, well, this, this this is true too, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, we did have a very good match. We had an excellent match. The crowd was very pleased, and uh, that's what's most important to um, our uh, let's say our old school uh, workers. Mm-hmm. So I just um, you know I just played it along. What happened was about five years later, uh, some other uh, fellow who was uh, trying to get another federation started, uh, Nightmare Mike Jordan. 
uh, asked me if uh, I would give him a hand. And uh, so needless to say, he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to do things as they did years ago. And so I agreed to the match. And most unfortunately, let's say most unfortunately, and this is basically, this was the icing on my cake as far as uh, packing my bags was concerned, was that everything had gone from what it originally was to what it became that night. And that night, he matched me, of all things, with an MMA, uh, uh, I'll say an MMA uh, fighter who was stoned out of his mind on drugs. Really? The match was terrible. We both looked terrible. Everything he did, he did like he was in the octagon. He completely uh, forgot about wrestling. I don't know how many spin kicks he caught me with in the face, but when I found out that this clown was playing for real, then I got serious too. And uh, nevertheless, no matter what he did, I had, I, had, I had to prove a point that night, a very serious point. I didn't care what he did, how he did it, where he landed those kicks. I wasn't going down. That's unbelievable. Sometimes promoters do things and book people, and it's like they don't look in, into the future while they're trying yeah. to do this. Especially now, like they'll just throw anyone on. It seems like, especially sellers. Well, that's, that's that's my whole case in point. Now, for all purposes, when he saw how stoned this character was, he should not have let him work. No. The commission doctor should have canceled him and me using less common sense than usual should have come right out and said hey get somebody else i'm not where i am not working with it with, with this drug abuser now was this in what new jersey or new york or this was right? in new york this, this was in long yeah. beach okay. and uh, nevertheless like i said the match was a hundred percent uh disastrous when you really come right down to it and i told the promoter afterwards i said if you're curious to know as to why I uh, I took the position I took, and I didn't kick him in his bad knee already and put him in the hospital or possibly put him in a wheelchair because I know he's being treated for knee injury. It's because you would have had to pick up the tab for it as a promoter, because chances are there would have been legal action. For another thing, I wasn't about to exert myself and break this clown's neck for $60. And for another thing, the reason as to why I stood there and let him kick me in the face the way he did, because I wanted to let him know this is how a 65-year-old old school Bruno Guerra wrestler can, can 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 take it and take it well. It's as right. simple as that. Said I was I uh, told the promoter afterwards I wouldn't go down if he hit me with a bazooka shell. It's as simple as that. Really? And the only reason as to why he's still still able to walk around is because it was to save your neck. So um, I wish you a lot of luck with your federation in the future. Oh. That's a very professional of you. I, I, I can't say that I would have done the same. I probably no. would have went off on someone. And Tommy, you yeah. probably would have went yeah. off on someone too if that would happen to you. So yeah. it, a real professional of you yeah. to mm -hmm. behave in that manner. Um, well, so that was your last show? That was my that was my very my very uh, last. Uh, you know, when you really come right down to it, you see this is this is what the business has become. They're using a bunch of uh, how would I say a bunch of wannabes, and a bunch of never will bees, and a bunch of virtual derelicts, and they're throwing them in that ring. And this is what it's all uh, coming right down to. And 
I, I have, I have no use or respect for the modern business today because of it. Now, let but me you ask you, yeah, yeah. you began, I'm sorry, you began uh, like oh. strength, strength training and uh, probably boxing, wrestling, mixed, mixed martial arts at the age of 14. Is this correct? Yes, it is. I started, well, let, well, let me go back a little bit uh, further. Uh, I took a tremendous interest in uh, self-defense training, uh, physical conditioning and things of that nature, uh, because um, I was, uh, I was uh, often physically uh, beaten and abused at home by my, uh, you know, you know, by my parents. Uh, you know, I was a beaten child and uh, figured the only way to actually get past something like this is to learn how to defend myself and make my body so tough that I wouldn't feel pain. And I, I, I did succeed. Yes, I, I succeeded. At age 14, I got into martial arts. I was studying Korean-style karate. Uh, I should have stuck with it. But mm -hmm. Then uh, later on, I got into uh, Golden Gloves. And uh, my, my, my idol, my childhood idol as a boxer was Sonny Liston. Because oh, wow. Sonny, Sonny can knock a guy out. could have knocked a guy out with either hand. Okay. You know? And he would, this guy was tough, and I, I idolized him as a young kid. So, um, you know, that uh, that inspired me. And even now, presently, to this uh, you know, to this very uh, time we speak, I had just gotten out of the gym just a little while ago. I was in there pumping iron for about a half hour. Uh, you no, know, no, half hour, about an hour and a half, actually. Then I hit the heavy bag a little. And uh, I still train as often as I can over the course of the week, in addition to working and um uh, being a uh, you know being a full time husband, and with all this, I'm going to be 72 this year. Oh Probably. wow! You don't you look you don't look anywhere near the seven. I'm 64, 74. and I thought I was going to die a couple of weeks ago. So. Wow. <laughs> well, well, I don't intend. I don't intend. I don't intend to leave this earth for a very long time yet because yeah. um, I. Uh, I've got a lot to accomplish. I've got a lot to live for. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary uh, this wow, year. And wow. we're going to be, and, uh, and we're going to commemorate it by uh, renewing our vows in church. Oh, beautiful. Uh, right. I'm going to be a grandfather again oh, for, the seventh, wow. for the 17th time. Oh, wow. Boys and girls uh, mixture? Or? Yes. Oh, nice. Very nice. How many children 17th. do you have? Okay, collectively, my wife and I have seven children. Oh. Well, when I when I married her back in 2012, uh, I inherited four more grown sons. Nice. And their families, of course. Nice. And it's uh, it's nice uh, it's nice to have these uh, fellows uh, calling me uh, dad and uh, things of that nature. It's nice and, to well, your little army. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I'll put I'll put it to you this way. It's like it's it, it's like a tribe of wild Indians sometimes, I bet. <laughs> and that and uh, that sometimes could be a lot of fun. Yes, yeah. I can be a lot of fun. See, my wife and I we met back in two thousand one when she hired me as a bodyguard. Oh, nice! Uh, wow. Yeah, she was she was involved. She was in the entertainment field. Uh, she had done some acting. Um, she had done some dancing. She and her sisters were backup singers for Stevie Wonder. Oh, nice. And unfortunately, she was involved in a, in a very abusive uh, marriage with uh, some creep that used to beat the life out of her 
and the uh, kids almost on a daily basis. So uh, at that at one point, she finally got fed up and disgusted and had it over her head. And this time when she wound up in the hospital, she told the doctors that her husband beat her. So now he was arrested. You know, they placed him under arrest and he threatened her life in the courtroom. Told her, so the day I get out of jail is the day I, co- is the day I kill you. Oh, wow. Well, she got, she got word that he was back out on the street. And then she decided that uh, the order of protection basically is only a sheet of paper and it does nothing, which, of course, it does nothing. Yeah. No. So, she, so she, um, she decided to hire um, you know, personal protection. And to me, it, it was ju- just another job as a bodyguard because I've been a bodyguard many times to many people. And I've done, I've done all sorts of unusual work since I retired from the department. Any any names that we would we would know of that you've been a bodyguard for, or just? Well, uh, I was working. I was a bodyguard for a Supreme Court judge in Jersey at one point in time. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't want his name mentioned. Well, okay. uh, then uh, there were uh, just a few other basic business uh, people. You know, mm-hmm. um, I would say uh, business owners, things of that nature, uh, people who have had threats lodged against them, you know, mm-hmm. things of that nature. It was paid well. But to me, this was just another job as a bodyguard. And uh, the only thing that was unusual about it was is that my uh, client is a woman. Mm-hmm. So um, this, uh, okay, I, I conducted myself in a professional manner straight up until 2012. Uh, she, um, she always used to go very far out of her way to be very nice, you know, being very, uh, polite, you know, regardless of, um, circumstances and still as a professional man, I knew what side of the line I belonged on. So I just maintained that stance until 2012, August of 2012, when they diagnosed me with throat cancer and, uh, and mind you, I'll have you know, I've done all sorts of work on all sorts of occasions. I even worked seven years undercover infiltrating uh, white supremacist uh, terrorist organizations. That was actually one of my next questions is I, I didn't want to ask if you didn't want to talk about it, but I did want to get into a little bit of your background in Nazism and, and uh, just if you could just yes. give a little bit of background about that, because I thought it was interesting. Yes. Uh, as far as my background in Nazism is concerned, I took a, a personal interest in that at age six when I saw my first documentary film on uh, Adolf Hitler. The um, film was called uh, The Secret Life of Adolf Hitler, and it was informative, but uh, I found out later on that a lot of information, needless to say, was incorrect. Uh, I read books. I saw documentaries. I've even seen movies, things of that nature. And what basically impressed me was um, the concept of being a conqueror. The con- you know, the concept of not so much him personally, but how someone can take a beaten, broken, bankrupt, down-and-out country and within two years made it so powerful that it threatened the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, regardless, right or wrong, good or bad, sane or insane, anyone who could do a thing like that has really amazing leader. Yeah. Exactly. And later on, finding out with all the things I've read, all the people that I've spoken to, everyone that I've come to know, 
he was actually nominated Man of the Year by Time Magazine twice in wow. 1937. <laughs> <Wow>. Imagine that. <laughs> exactly. Now, what many people didn't know that I found out was that he was suffering from two things. A petite mal, which um, established itself as uh, violent sleepwalking fits. Wow. And third stage syphilis. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That'll get you right. Which he developed in Vienna prior to World War I when he was working as a male prostitute for rich widows that wow. no, that very few people are aware of. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of that one. A lot That's of people haven't heard of it. One. But, but yeah. nevertheless, nevertheless it's, it, it, it is true. So it's just a matter of time before it burns out the brain cells. And in his case, well, we all, we all know what happened. History uh, speaks for itself. Uh, I was never a racist, nor was I ever in favor of anything like the Holocaust. But uh, nonetheless, uh, in 1997, I was still with the uh, Department of Corrections, and that was when Timothy McVeigh set off that bomb in uh, Oklahoma City. And the only thing that was burning through my mind back at that time was is that if I was involved in any of these organizations or anything like that, and I got wind that this was his plan, I could have stopped it mm. had I been there. Much the same with 9-11. And I lost some very, very close friends at the World Trade Center. Same thing. If I was involved in something like this and I got word, I could have stopped it or at least tried. So it finally, at uh, this point in 2005, when uh, my, uh, my charge then, and not my wife, she was riding on a city bus and she was being harassed by several skinheads. Um, she got a hold of me about it, and well, I kept her company and calmed her down. But something else had, uh, had occurred to me. If I can get a beat on these on these skinheads over here in New York, I just might find a way to put the spotlight on them and get rid of them. But what I did was instead, I joined a neo-Nazi organization for that purpose to find out about activities like this in New York. After my first rally in South Carolina, I found that these uniformed force had nothing to do with skinheads because skinheads were nothing but trouble. They drew too much negative attention to themselves and they were just simply no good inside out and they wanted nothing to do with them. But because of my background, because of my, uh, you know, my, my training in law enforcement, due process of law, and all that went along with it, they decided they did not want me as a supporter. They wanted me in the uniformed ranks. Oh. And they moved me up that ladder unbelievably fast. Unbelievably fast. How high first, up the ladder? I when I uh, when I resigned in 2012, I was uh, commander in chief and captain of the SS division. Wow! Wow! And what I had done, what I had done while there and being in command, when I left at that time, these uniformed stormtroopers were working with law enforcement alongside of them and aiding them. Wow. 
and they were getting involved in rescue missions and things like that for the Red Cross and things of that nature. What I had done was I had taken something dangerous and made it into something useful. Nice. And see, well, understand something, Angela. Tommy. I took an oath. Of, I took an oath back in 1979. I raised my hand and I swore to uphold the law, to protect the innocent, to support the United States Constitution. Right? I took that oath. I retired from that job in 1999. I did not retire from that oath, and I still conduct it today. Wow. Nice. So, nice. Uh, hold true. Yes. Holding true. Nice. So when, I, when I got, as I say, when I got involved with that, uh, with that organization, I said to myself, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen here. But if you can take what you got here and make it into something useful, you just might have something that could be more of an enhancement to our people and our government and our country than anything else. And I'm happy to say that many of them were down at the Mexican border helping the deputy sheriffs and border patrol agents and things of that nature against Mexican drug cartels. Nice. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Yes, they, uh, they definitely served and they served very well. Uh, however, uh, what had happened was in 2012, when I was diagnosed, a lot of things changed with me because now I was actually I was, I was facing certain death. Okay. Yes. Following um, this, uh, all this, the Nazism stuff and everything. And now you're faced with, uh, this is lung cancer. You're saying you throat cancer, throat cancer. You do, you don't even sound like that was a possibility. You sound great. Uh, but how did you learn that you had throat cancer? What year was that? And how did you discover it? That was August of 2012 when I went for a routine examination. My general practitioner was examining my throat, just feeling around with her fingers, and then she sent me to the endocrinologist in the same building. The endocrinologist examined my throat and sent me for an immediate um, ultrasound. And the ultrasound revealed that I've had an eight centimeter tumor in my throat that I wasn't even aware of. You weren't feeling any pain or, or like symptoms nothing. or anything? No, no, no restriction of movement, no discomfort, nothing, nothing at all. So after that, of course, next thing was biopsy. And uh, they scheduled that pretty quickly. And nevertheless, you know, they tried to downplay things. You know, don't worry, 90% of the time it's benign. It wasn't benign because they got the immediate test and the test said that that thing was radiating with, with, with cancer. They said it's oh. radiating with, it's loaded with cancer cells. And we don't know what else has been affected in the male body. This is extremely aggressive. And a person past 45, it's extremely aggressive. We don't know how long you've had this. We don't know how long, you know, we don't know if it's metastasized. We don't know, but we do know this. You have to go for immediate surgery. You have to get it removed. And, you know, they're telling me, and this thing might have been interfering with your larynx also, meaning that that's going to go too. Wow. Well, the only one that really gave me hope at the time was my, um, you know, was my, my wife, Catherine, who, of course, you know, was only my charge then. And now the role's reversed. Now she was looking after me. Mm. And, uh, you know, she was trying to keep me in a good frame of mind. 
So she just kept insisting that I'm not going to die. I'm, you know, God's not going to let you die. I said, wait, 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 wait let's not start bringing, bringing the Bible into this right now, because um, the, only th the only thing I'm looking at right now, I mean, if this is true, I'm looking at a long, dark eternity, and I don't want to go through eternity the way I am. I said, I've never broken the law. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't gamble. I never cheated on my wife when I was married to her. And I'm not your average uh, everyday sinner. But then again, I haven't exactly been an A1 uh, individual either. So she had me speak to her uh, pastor. And her, he made a special trip into Brooklyn that night to talk to me. And he was, he was the one guy that really made me feel that I had a chance. Because he told me straight out, he says, listen, you know, cancer is the, mo is the most frightening word that there is. Mm. But cancer don't have the last word. Cancer has got really? the last say. He says, you got to understand something. God has the last say, not cancer. Mm. And uh, we went on talking about that. And, of course, he asked me, what am I scheduled for surgery? And they both, both the pastor and Catherine, were at the hospital with me that morning of surgery. And they operated. They um, they were both waiting for me in recovery. They had to remove the, they removed the tumor and my thyroid gland as well. Wow! So um, nevertheless, uh, the surgeon came out in a few minutes and says to me, says, "Well, you'll be happy to know that we examine all of your lymph nodes. They're hundred percent perfect. Oh. You won't need chemotherapy, and you won't need." Um, uh, radiation just wow. give yourself a heal and, and that was what you know that was that that was when I took her hand in mine I looked at her and I said you know something just as soon as I'm strong enough to get my pants on myself I'm gonna marry you oh nice wow. well 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 I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something <laughs> see this over here you know honestly I don't I don't pull punches when I say that I've always been a hard-headed Dutchman and I've always said, I'll believe it when I see it. And you come right down to it. That Sunday before surgery, the pastor had me come up before the congregation and it was hands-on prayer. And I remember some words he used. And he said that, uh, you know, Father, curse this tumor and make it shrivel. Okay. He was, he was with me when they operated. The following week, I had to go for my uh, follow-up, and the surgeon uh, comes into the um, examining room. Her wife's with me, and she says, "I've got uh, I've got something very unusual to tell you. Uh, we can't we can't explain this." I said, "Well, uh, is it good news or it's bad news?" She says, "Oh, it's very good news." I said, "Well, what's going on here?" When we ran biopsy on that tumor, that tumor was radiating with cancer cells. When they ran pathology on that tumor, that tumor was dead benign tissue. We don't wow. know what happened. We don't know what happened in between. Wow. Wow. Just, Amazing. Exactly. Something happened in between. I'm saying to myself, mm. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure hands on prayer had something to do with it. So uh, then this, this was the icing on the cake. I guessed, I said to her, I said, well, listen, with my limited knowledge of um, being a laboratory technician, or anything else in that, you know, that field for that matter. Couldn't they run a second biopsy? And she says, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. I said, why? 
because no sooner did they run than they run that did they run the um, first um, pathology, the thing just shriveled up. Wow! Wow! That's unreal. Yeah. Uh, so my, like mutant came out of nowhere and then shriveled, shriveled up and went away. Shriveled, well, once again, he said, "Father, curse this tumor and make it shrivel." Yeah, that's awesome. Now, as far, as far as I'm concerned, that was that was enough to sell me when you come right down to it. And you know, <laughs> I'll tell you something. Very some divine those, stuff. Yes. Divine well, on a, on a more humorous note, on a very humorous note, the night after surgery, now you figure they just they just cut my throat open, they just removed my thyroid gland, they've got me all hooked up to the IV and all that stuff. Now, I don't know exactly what was the cause, but I was feeling physically stronger by the minute. Wow. I mean, I, I almost felt good enough to walk into a gym. Now, wow. everybody else that night in that ward was sleeping. I'm up doing deep knee bends and push-ups. Oh, uh, right after a surgery. Exactly. Oh, you know, yeah. So, of course, finally, you know, the... Uh, the, the, I'm not. Com I, I am not cooperating with anybody in there, and that you know that included the staff. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bad the, patient too. They didn't decide to stop me until I found an extension cord that I was going to use as a skip rope. Oh, oh boy! So, so <laughs> Anything you can find laying around. Yeah, the nurse comes in with the uh, doctor, and the doctor says to me, he "says Listen, Mister Snyder, with all due respect." If you don't get in bed and go to sleep, we're going to have to sedate you. And he showed me a needle. So I looked at the needle and I said, well, doctor, if you're going to sedate me with something, it better be a veal parmesan hero or something like that. Oh, nice. that whatever it is that you're going to use, you're going to wind up eating it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. No, it's nice. So uh, after your surgery was complete and uh, no cancer, no treatment, a anything like that after that you needed and you're you're in your 70s now looking as healthy as can be you you, you yeah. look like uh better than younger guys who've never had cancer or anything wrong yeah. with them thank, thank you, you so sound much great. you sound great so what was to follow uh your your cancer uh, uh recovery well that was about it just basically you know see the you know uh, see your doctor when you're supposed to you know routine examinations things of that nature which of course i do Mm. I never did have any bad habits. I spend a fortune on vitamins every month, the food Great. supplements, which I use. Mm. Uh, I haven't touched sugar in 17 years, and I won't. Nice. Sugar feeds cancer cells. Mm. I so, believe that. Yeah. So I, so I found that out. Uh, my wife is an excellent cook, and she's um, she's very she's very good to me. As a matter of fact, I might I might even I might even add. That uh, we've married ten years, as I said, and I'm, I'll be seventy-two, and we're still honeymooning. Oh, so well, nice! That's, that's fantastic awesome. when things can work out so well, you know, for, for everyone. Well, Actually, well, the marriage is so hard. Well, the, the the thing most surprising to me even now is the fact that I was never in the market for a biracial relationship. Mm -hmm. See. It had never, uh, it had never, it just never occurred to me. It uh, just didn't mean very, very much to me. Now, all of a sudden, I find myself in a, in a position where, uh, like Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. 
Yes. <laughs> in reality, because I was her bodyguard and she was an entertainer. Oh, wow. Oh, and uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, my, my wife is right here. She just say hello oh, for a second. Okay. Hi. Okay. As you can see me, he's yeah, yeah, move, move into the picture. Okay. Well, half of me is in here. Hello. I, I have a big head. Uh, I think else. Hi. Nice Thank to see you. you. Thanks for taking care nice of Nice to see you. You see half of me. Right. I'm leaning this way. Thanks for taking care of Duke. You, you're welcome. Because yeah, I was I hired him in her body because I was signing autographs at the Chilo Theater Convention in Jersey. And there was a stalker uh, at the show following me. Oh, you see half of my head. You can't get a better yeah, yeah. guy to protect you, right? No, mm -mm, he still that, protects me because he got a lot of fans still following us around. That's fantastic. Yeah, I remember you. Yeah, I remember him from the show. Yeah, see, see, the um, thing of it was is that I never considered it, and uh, I hadn't considered it until oh, that day. I, I got a picture of you guys. Yeah, it's my us. grandson. That's oh, one of them. that's one that's of them. my grandson Noah. Wow, beautiful, gorgeous. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. I, I just wanted to pop that picture up there because I thought it was no, gorgeous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> see, all, see, all, all in all, my my two greatest sorrows about my uh, marriage to uh, Catherine, my two greatest heartaches, is that she and I didn't meet when we were children. I might have grown up much better. She told me that if her father had known that I was an abused child, he would have taken me in. Wow. And uh, believe me, back at that time, if I had an opportunity to live with another family, it wouldn't have mattered to me who they were. If they were willing to take me in, I would have gone. And wow. the other regret is the fact that uh, because, uh, you know, obvious age, uh, we can't have a child of our own. Well, you have children and grandchildren, which is a blessing. It's a blessing in itself. The grandchildren, especially that beautiful child that I just showed on the screen, has got to you know mm -hmm. keep your spirits up. Mm -hmm. You get yeah. to share okay. your grandchildren at your age. It's fantastic. Okay. Well, uh, she's uh, she's over here twisting my arm. <laughs> okay. She wants. Uh, okay. She wants me to enlighten you about uh, the fact that. Um, Hardy Justice, who did the production for um, uh, Ray Donovan with Leif Schreiber, oh, uh, they have a uh, they have a regular um, movie in the works for us. Oh, very nice! Yeah, Lee, yeah, Lee Schreiber came out here and bought dinner for us. Oh, nice, nice. Mm -hmm. When now? When is this to be? Uh, is it being worked on right now? Or is it's there still working on it? Well, well, what it is is that they've just about completed the screenplay. Okay. And uh, they're, going, they're going over that. I do know that Lee Schreiber is supposed to be the director. Mm -hmm. uh, that he, that he's he's going to direct this uh, movie. Uh, Could you give it, us a little bit of information about it? Like what what it, just a little bit, maybe a little tease. Well, what they, see what they're what they're what they're playing up. Okay, basically the angle that they're playing up over here is the fact that uh, they have or we have. Uh, a high, a high ranking, an unbelievably high ranking neo Nazi uh, leader mm -hmm. who turns his back on the entire movement, just completely rejects the movement so he could, you know, after falling in love with a black woman, so he could marry her. So I remember telling the writer, I said, you know something? Mm -hmm. They did a movie similar to this, 
way back in the uh, late seventies uh, with Christopher Reeve, and it was called Su- and it was called Superman too. When he <laughs> when he decided that uh, in order to marry Lois Lane, he's got to become a normal human being and just uh, completely forsake his uh, superpowers. And here I am turning my back on a full scale army to become uh, at, to become Joe Citizen. It's a good uh, way of putting it. <laughs> Exactly. So I took so I could marry a, a black woman. Mm. So uh, well, that's a story. That's well, a fantastic story, actually. Well, it covers. It also covers some other uh, factors too. Basically, like I said, some of the positive changes that I had made. Uh, several uh, locations. Well, let's say Phoenix, Arizona. There was a. Um, we had a uh, march there, which also turned into a full scale riot. Yeah. Um, among the uh, counter demonstrators, where the police had had to uh, pepper gas the uh, counter demonstrators, that was one. Then there was a thing in Bordentown that went down with a group of um, counter demonstrators that attacked a bunch of our stormtroopers. And despite the fact that the counter demonstrators were fully armed with uh, razor cutters, box cutters, bats, mace, things of that nature, the stormtroopers were barehanded and they still beat them. Wow. What year was so, that? Uh, that was that was in uh, back in twenty uh, twenty eleven. Oh wow! Yeah, right. the um, the video uh, tape from the party called it uh, the Battle of uh, Bordentown, wow. uh, which, which is which is just what it actually turned out to be. But um, the main thing was is that also I was involved with other organizations. And I found out in, 20, in 2010 in Knoxville that there was a plot, not by the Nazis, there was a plot by another white power group to contaminate a black community uh, section with some type of chemical uh, waste that they were going to dump into the earth, which would cause cancer. Wow. And they, uh, they'd asked me to come in on this uh, plot with them. They didn't realize that they were speaking to Uncle Sam in person. <laughs> and uh, when they decided, <clears throat> when they put it into play, the circle closed up and they all got caught. Wow. Great. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah, so, good save there. <laughs> yeah, so that's just Fantastic. about it. So, yeah, this, this movie sounds like it's going to be a great one. Uh, happy to hear that, you know, you guys got something on the horizon coming out to you. Tell your story. I uh, can't wait to see it. I'm going to look some of this stuff up. Actually, okay. now that you've said it, um, I, you know, I would love to to get you know even more history. But I read uh, all about this. I read all about this in, a, yes. in an article somewhere. I read it. Yeah, they yeah. want they want to put it in the theater. Yeah, this how. is great stuff. Great stuff. Not, can't wait for it. But do you know the name? The title? Did they give it a title yet? Not yet. Uh, originally, Not yet. originally they were going to, um, you know, they were going to call it Duke, Duke and the, the Duke and the Countess, because oh. my wife's, uh, you know, show name business name was, was, uh, was Countess, uh, Countess Silk. And of course, oh, what, had, what was your uh, your wife's background? If you don't mind me asking, uh, what was your background in entertainment? The entertainment, I was an actress. Oh, okay, oh. Duchess. Duchess. Yeah, in horror movies. Oh, nice, nice. Um, um, you ever heard of the movie The Ghost of Angela Webb? Oh, I'm going to look it up. That's yeah, it. And also uh, Requiem for Vampire. Okay. Oh. All and right. And also The Locksville Ghosts. 
Nice, nice. So uh, a long history in, in the entertainment field. And obviously it, it did something good. It got you guys hooked up together and yeah. you know, yeah. uh, happily. Look how happy you look. <laughs> yes, look how that's wonderful. And now that's a story is being made about you, which is really exciting. When you, see, when, when you see uh, two, um, how would I say, uh, where uh, Tommy's um, input over here was concerned about uh, Nazism. Uh, basic history. I mean, I know where it all began, how it all began, and why it all began. You see, if you actually boil it right down to brass tacks, to its true, honest meaning, the, it's a combination of two words, national socialism. National socialism was developed back in, eight, in 1918 after World War One, And the concept is, is basically is that Charity begins at home, meaning that national, we look after our own people first, and mm. then we worry about everybody who's beyond our borders. Mm. Now, Hitler, in a speech, was very abrasive when he said, Europe and the rest of the world can perish in flames. What is that to us? Germany must live and prosper. He was a very, it was very abusive, but... He spoke right from the heart. And this is just a problem here. We here in the United States are worried far too much about a lot of other people elsewhere. And we have our own people who are starving. We have people in the big city, in the ghettos. Mm -hmm. they, can't, uh, they can't get jobs. They're flat broke. Crime is at, 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 a, at, at a zenith because... All it does is uh, create um, poverty, and poverty, of course, always leads to despair, and despair is going to lead to crime. Now, you take a program, a funny program, I grant you, like Good Times. Look at the reruns of Good Times with John Amos and Esther Rowland and all that. I ask you this. What is so humorous, what is so funny about an American man who's educated, who served his country faithfully in Korea, loves his children, loves his wife, works fanatically, and can't get his family out of the projects. Mm, that's, that's... What, what is so funny about that? And how whenever they're laying people off, he's always the first one to go. And why is this? Because he's black. <coughs> where's, no. the, where's the fairness? Where's the humor? I don't, I don't see anything funny in that. No, you're all right. about exploitation, really, not about humor at all, because nothing's funny about it. Nothing was ever funny about it. But uh, you know, that's the way they uh, showcase the, the, their people yeah. at the time. So, yeah, nothing funny about it. You're right. Mm -hmm. See, the, the concept is, is that either the problem has been ignored or it's been laughed on a little bit too long. And I got, um, how would I say, I got a basic education in that when I started looking after Catherine started protecting her because she couldn't even get health benefits. Mm. She could she couldn't even she couldn't even get a prescription plan. And she was constantly having problems with um, either a landlord or something else along those lines. You know, she went to the shopping plaza one day to uh, one of the optical stores to get a small bolt put in her uh, you know, her, her glasses, a small screw, which is nothing. And they're telling her, well, it's going to cost and you're going to have to wait for everybody. Well, fortunately, 
I was in the sporting goods store uh, not very far away, and she asked me to go in there and talk to them about it. Now, okay, granted, I'm a Caucasian man. I walked in there with the glasses and I said, I'd like a small bolt put in there, you know, put in the arm over here, these glasses. I said, how long am I going to have to wait? Oh, we'll do that for you right now. I said, thank you. What's it? How much is it going to set me back? He says, oh, this is on the house. Because yeah, I was the only one there. <coughs> there were no wow. other customers. And, and, I, and all, I ba- all I seriously base it on in this day and age is racism. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. What so, else could it be? Well, what I didn't tell anybody was, was that I pulled my shirt off and I told them, you don't fix these things and don't do it on the house and I'm going to rip this place to pieces. And if you believe that one, I'll tell you another lie. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, though. <laughs> Sometimes it actually works. No, I, I only had to get, um, how would I say, I only had to get cynical on one occasion with my son. My, my older son, my younger son, rather, before he went into the Navy, he was working at some fast food place. And when he resigned, the owner there refused to pay him. So um, after a period of time, the kid comes home and he says to me, he says, Dad, would you please talk to this guy? So that evening I went to pay him a visit. And the um, place is full of customers, of course. And he comes to the counter and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him. I got my kids next to me. And I asked him, I said, I want to ask you a question, Mr. How many cars do you figure we can fit in this diner over here you've got? How many cars will fit in here? He says, uh, I don't know. Well, why are you asking me a question like that? I said, very simple. Because if you don't pay my son what you owe him over here, tomorrow this place is going to be a parking lot. Ah. <laughs> yeah, nice. You got, you got to take care of business. I did it with my daughter. The guy in that manager in Acme made her cry. She came home. I went down there. I called him out. I said, let me ask you a question. Don't you wish you had 30 of my daughter? Oh, yes, Mr. Kyle, absolutely. Oh, oh, yes, Mr. Kyle? Why is my daughter coming home from this piece of crap job being run down by you? I said, I'm going to tell you something. If I ever have to come back here again, I'm going to take you outside and I'm going to beat you. Are you th- is that a threat? I said, what does it sound like to you, my friend? <laughs> it's not a threat. I'm, it's going to happen. Now every time he sees me, he turns away, goes the other way. And it changed things because other people had complained prior, but it, no, it didn't go anywhere. So when they heard there was an incident in the store, well, who's that? That was Guy's father. Oh, she's great. Why did he have to come down here? Well, the manager again, oh, really? Call him in here. And they straightened it out because he, they had, it was, that was the story that broke the camel's back. And because maybe other people didn't take that course, nothing happened. I mean, I fixed when it. you show up, then the, the whole story changes. Now That's he's going to treat people with respect because yeah. he don't want to run into a guy like you again. Yeah. You know? Well, you see, the, 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 the humor in this, I mean, the, and I've said this many, many times, and it's true. From the days of uh, working on Rikers Island to the present time of what I'm doing now, it seems like the only thing people ever hire me to do is scare people. Right. Well, yeah. that's what you're good at. So, <laughs> why well, not use you for for well, that? Remember, well, the many a time the female officers that I used to work with on uh, the Rock, <clears throat> if one of them would have trouble getting their security back from a you know from a landlord, they always used to ask me to go and collect it for them. Of course, nice. <laughs> so, and you know, so needless to say, it's funny how people approach it too. 
Because, like, you'll be hanging out and you'll be talking and, you know, asking about wrestling and this and that. And then uh, it gets quiet for a minute. And they go, you know, and I already know what's coming. I got this situation. I said, give me the address. <laughs> it's like, I said, I'll just go over here. I'm not going to do anything, but I'm here to collect the money. You won't see him again. You'll see me. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. And that's the end of it. You know, you know when you have the you carry yourself in a way that we're able to, people would rather say, you know what? I'll leave that guy alone. Let me go get this guy over here that looks like he's going to fall over. You know, that's how I look now, but. Yeah. So you see that no, I told you that story about <clears throat> on the phone with Johnny. So it, just the perception. If you think you're going to get your Georgia, most people run the other way. They don't want to be involved in that. So it works. Yeah. We are so lucky to have gentlemen like this to step in and uh, protect us. I'm sure your wife would agree that it, it's always nice to have protection around. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for her need the protection, you guys wouldn't be together right now. So bravo for that job. You mentioned you worked at Rikers Island. How, um, how, how long did you work there? 20 years. Wow. <laughs> bravo. They, uh, took the job at 79, retired in 99. Uh, 16 and a half of my 20 was in special operations. See, nice. we, were the guys, we were the guys that always got called in, you know, for the, uh, you know, the emergency situations, you know, riots, you know, things of that nature. Extractions. So, so the, see, what it is is that the, you know, special operations with the correction department is like uh, special forces with the military and uh, they train you in everything, chem, you know, chemical agents. Uh, barehanded combat, nightstick defense, ballistics, uh, explosives, you know, you, they, they, were, they run you through just about everything you can imagine. So needless to say, <clears throat> you got a full warehouse in 20 years by the time you retire, and you're just about qualified for almost anything. Yeah. And uh, being, a, you know, being a professional bodyguard was, that was just a very small uh, part of it. Uh, I found, although I, I must, I must confess, I will definitely confess that on a very quiet scale, I um, found I found it very difficult to conceal my emotions when I was uh, my wife's um, personal protection. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like I say, it was a with me it was a situation where I wasn't accustomed to people being nice to me. You know, and I wasn't accustomed to right. people, you know, I wasn't accustomed to people caring about me. And uh, grant you, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to tell lies when I say that <clears throat> I might, I might be physically tough enough, even to this very day, to set my own broken nose back in place, which I had done. But um, internally, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very non-confrontational person. I do not like to hurt anyone's feelings. Uh, I do not like to create unnecessary situations for people, even when they create it for themselves. <clears throat> and I've always been a card-carrying animal lover and a card-carrying uh, child lover and things of that nature. <clears throat> and that's um, that's that's pretty much my uh, you know my persona. It may not appear that way, uh, you know, when people look at me, but nevertheless, although I can. You know, I can take good care of myself, but still, I um, I have a con I do have a conscience. I do have uh, feelings. See, what's what's also funny? I mean, like I say, what's funny of many things is that when that situation broke off, you know, broke in uh, Bordentown, 
and my, uh, you know, the commander, you know, the commander of the organization wound up getting maced. Uh, I grabbed hold of him, I covered him, and I uh, fought off any of the other attackers. And afterwards, we got him back to safety. He gives me this look, and he says to me, he says, you know something, Duke? Says, There's an awful lot of violence in you. I was giving you the protection that I'm supposed to give you. I'm your bodyguard, you remember? Yeah. Wow. So, well, to this day, okay, he um, he is presently way out of the organization. He's out there leading campaigns and doing speeches for racial um, uh, equality and things of that nature. He's done a complete three sixty, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's developing uh, quite a uh, you know quite a name for himself as a uh, as a peacemaker, which is um, which is something that I definitely. Uh, respect him for. Uh, see, you know, you know, different people do different things for different reasons. Uh, much of um, my reason for uh, getting involved in uh, Nazism wasn't uh, because I was anti-Semitic, which I was not, because I endorsed the Holocaust, which I did not, <clears throat> which I was, uh, how would I say, uh, looking to... Uh, uh, assault and threaten the innocent, which I never did. I can't stand seeing anybody ever getting picked on or anything of that nature. That was never my thing. But uh, when I found an opportunity to actually take something that was negative and make it into something positive, I couldn't pass that up. And then finding out about some of the activities of some of the other people uh, who were up to no good, mm-hmm. I had to put a stop to that too. The sad thing is nobody today wants to get involved in anything. Right. Well, I I mean, in your time, you were the guy to step up. And uh, this has just been fascinating, uh, uh, hearing all of this. Uh, I'm I'm so glad that there's a movie coming out so that, you know, more than just us sitting here can know this fascinating story. Tommy, do you have any more questions for Duke? I mean, I think we've gotten so much. Well, Duke and I talk, Duke talk now and again. I remember we had a long conversation on the very job that I'm now suing. I have a lawsuit with New Jersey Unemployment. I was talking to you when I was on that job. We talked about diabetes, all of that. You told me all, all of this. So I'm getting a refresher, but I'm, I'm hearing things I didn't know. But listen, I, it wasn't very hard to see that. Like I feel about myself to a certain extent. We're, he's not the the average bear, okay? Um, different and different for all good reasons. And there are not many of us left. You know, if you don't stand for something, you fall for everything. And that's what we, you, and here's the thing about having a, a code that you live by. It's like, uh, oh, I'm on, the, I'm on the Atkins diet. Uh, well, it's like a, a modified. You're not on the Atkins diet. If it's modified, it's not the Atkins diet. So, you know, with, with us, we don't change. Uh, there's no worry that even a broken clock is right twice a day. I always say that. But you, if you stay where you are, you'll be right eventually. <laughs> because the guys that, that don't live like us are very easily swayed in different ways. Okay? We're not us. Uh, because we know what, what we believe. And that's not going to change all of a sudden. You know, now something that happened to you with the, the whole, you know, metamorphosis of things that, you know, you didn't live by before. That's different. That's change. 
But internally, you know, we are who we are. We got rules. We don't ask you, just don't poke the bear. You know what I mean? Leave us alone. Uh, because it, it's inevitable that if you don't, we will be who we are. And nobody wants that. See, it's all good and everybody's nasty until they see that there's going to be some kind of physical confrontation. Then it all changes. Just like my family. They don't tell me a lot of stuff. But when it's something serious, they tell me. I heard my daughter crying that day when I went to see her voice. And I'm like, they wouldn't tell me. I said, listen, you're crying. I'm your father. You better tell me why you're crying. Oh, dad, I don't want you to go over there. I'm like, I'm, I can't even think now. I'm like, waiting for her to tell me. And she said, well, this guy, the guy Phil at work. I'm like heading for the door already, you know. And she's crying more because now she figures, well, number one, she's not going to have a job. And number two, she feels that, you know, maybe she'll be embarrassed. But she was so upset. Finally, she goes, okay, dad. And I was out the door and at Acme in about a minute and a half. So we're fine. Leave us alone. Don't be mean or nasty to anyone while we're there around. And you should be good. But when you start poking the bear, you know, everybody's, you know, what was that old saying? Uh, it's all fun and games until somebody gets their hands stuck in an industrial fan. Yeah, that's us. We're the industrial fan. We chew you up and spit you out. And we go about our business and wait for the next, you know, violation to occur. That's really where we're at. We're const Dude. constantly yes. monitoring well, our, well, you know, our well, perimeter. Well, you, well, you see, Tommy, Tommy, I can tell you this. You see, there are too many people that put on a show for other people to try to please other people. You can't do that. Right. See, this is why, honestly, I have very few friends, very yeah. few. Because you ask me a question, and I'm going to tell you the truth. It's as simple as that. I'm going to give you an answer. You walk up to me, and you ask me, hey, hey, Duke, how do you like my brand new punk rock haircut? I said, you want to know the truth? You look like you ought to be, you ought to be wearing a straitjacket with it. I said, what are you talking like that to me for? Look, you asked me a question, and I gave you an answer. Another one was, I remember he gets himself some kind of a hair replacement. He says, hey, Duke, you like my uh, hair replacement? I said, I was going to ask you why you're wearing that Davy Crockett hat. <laughs> <laughs> people can't handle the truth. That's the problem. They can't handle the truth. Most people just can't handle the truth. They'd rather live in a fantasy world. You know, but eventually the, the other shoe drops. <laughs> so happy that we could get a, a lot of the truth here tonight. And Duke, you have an amazing story of, of progress and growth and uh, definitely something for, you know, the younger generations to look towards uh, someone to idolize. You know, you've over overcome so much with uh, the Nazism and, and you know, your, your whole life change of cancer and all that. So I think when people get to listen to this story and finally get to see your movie when it comes out, you know, maybe it'll be a great example uh, for people to have changes in their lives like yeah. you have progress to a point where you could be a, a you know a happy person with a, a, a great family and a great life and just uh, put all of your uh you know problems behind that you, you have overcome and be a, a, a happy uh person like you seem to be i am a very happy person honest, yeah, honestly yeah, you know also be you see uh both um you see Besides me beating uh, throat cancer, 
Uh, my wife also came through a, a bout with uh, breast cancer. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. It was soon after uh, after, after, we, after we were married. Uh, now, what <laughs> happened was she uh, it wound up where she had to have a mastectomy of her left breast. However, the reconstructive surgery that they did, you mm -hmm. can't tell that anything ever happened. Wow. That's great. As a matter of fact, not only was this thing so natural in appearance, but she had said to me sometime later, at the risk of being a little risque here, mm -hmm. uh, she said to me, she says, careful how you touch it, because I have sensation there. So, are oh. you kidding me? <laughs> you're, 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 you're really, they, oh. they, they can do some very amazing things. And, uh, and something of my most recent, <laughs> I want to say my most recent accomplishment after being treated for diabetes for 17 years, they had just taken me off medication. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Tommy I work towards that. Is, yeah, is working towards that. So, yeah, yeah hopefully <laughs> we'll, we'll all get healthy. But for, for a man in, in your 70s, absolutely. I, I have to applaud you. After all this that you have been through, you look absolutely amazing. You sound amazing. You sound happy and just like a great guy. Uh, I've been, I'm sitting here, I'm captivated by your story. I think it, it's, it's totally amazing. And it's going to be totally amazing to our viewers here on Wrestling Rewind. Well, so I, I have a lot of uh, things planned. For one thing, I intend to develop a, uh, how would I say, a with uh, troubled uh, teens today that are uh, getting involved in these white supremacist groups and things of that nature and do what I can to possibly, uh, you know, deter it when you come right down to it, you know, because I'm, I'm the man with, uh, I am the man with experience. If I had a, if I had a drinking problem, I wouldn't want to speak to somebody who's, uh, you know, who's into physical fitness. I want to talk to somebody who also had a drinking problem. Right, and, uh, exactly. You know, I need I need somebody with experience, and this is most cases from what I've learned. A lot of these uh, young kids, they simply haven't got anyone to talk to. Nobody listens to them. Dude, and, do you have any uh, like links or social media outlets or anything uh, before you know the promotion of your your speaking and your groups and support groups? Do you have anything out there that you would like to advertise? Uh. You mean when I uh, when I was involved with the uh, movement, or at the present time? Oh well, at the present time, uh, do you have any anything to share with the fans that might want to get in touch with you? Uh, only only my email address. That's about it. Okay. Well, yeah, but, uh, Facebook. Well, you, you do have a Facebook that we can. Yes, I have Facebook also. I'll talk to anybody. I'll okay. Definitely, I'll definitely talk. And to you'll have future information on when the when the movie is coming out and when you'll be doing any kind of public speaking and whatnot, right? Well, I uh, well, my wife and I. Well, I laugh about it. She doesn't. I always tell her. I said, by the time they get this movie released, when they're uh, running the credits, that they're, they're going to say in memory of Duke. Oh, no. I'm going to die from old age. Let's hope not. We're no. looking forward to this now, especially after hearing this story. It's it's one of the things that I personally am looking forward to, and I know Tommy is, is yes. going to look forward to it. So, and I know all of our fans after hearing this will look yes. forward to it. So hopefully it'll come a lot sooner than later. Uh, Tommy, do you have anything to say in close? Well, you know, uh, what, what's the last thing you said? Because I Duke's, what was the last thing that he said? Because I was on a comment and I just forgot. We were uh, talking about his social media outlets and uh, the the movie, the, the release of the movie, the upcoming uh, 
movie. I, I must have got hit in the head too many times. <laughs> I think we all have. No, I'm exhausted. I was running around all day. My back's killing me, you know, so. It's well, you're looking at this way. For me today, real okay. quick. So uh, I got hit. Duke, Duke uh, like I said, I remember I got such a kick out of you. And I appreciated we didn't know each other real well. And I said this to you before. He's in a hallway somewhere in Jersey City. And he's got his brass. Where's your brass nuts belt? Show us your belt. Oh. He's no. still got it. Oh, fantastic. Hey, let me ask you a question. Did oh, Mike V make that belt? Did Mike Bartanian make that belt? Did Mike Bartanian make that belt? Yeah, yes, he did. Nice. Where is he? That's a very good question. I haven't seen him in I haven't seen him since since 2000. What is that when when uh, Dick Alex Rizzo died? Because that's when he disappeared. I, I believe so. so he, was, he was working security at a nightclub in Manhattan at that time. He always did, yeah. Yes, and then all of a sudden, he's gone. I heard he can't leave the house, and it got worse year by year. When Alice was still alive, Alice could prompt him to get out of the house, and he would actually go work on, on Frankie Goodman's car. He was uh, know, the, filth, the filthy creep. He yeah. worked as a filthy creep. And I don't know what happened to him. I've asked around. I, you know, I got a belt here that he made. You know, he made all the uh, all all the ECW belts, and he made the UWF belt, which was the FU belt because it said oh, UWF yeah. and then FU. UWF. <laughs> right. Belt. But uh, I met Duke, and I, I don't know. I probably knew him already, but he had that belt on, and I just you know was being silly, and I said. You know, Duke, I, that belt's nice. I just might have to challenge you for it. And he said, it's going to be a pistol. I said, this guy's <laughs> Tommy, Tommy, had I known you back then, I would have made light of it. But oh, uh, no. I, Listen, yeah. I appreciate that, appreciate that you didn't. You were like in character, and that's great, you know. I was the one that was being silly, but <laughs> I, I appreciated it. It was so cool. I was like, it's a great what? belt. Kind of looks like the old NWA television yeah, title. Nice belt. Yeah, he was like, very oh. talented, that kid. He was talented. Mm-hmm. You know, he did this so, in an apartment. Great. Yeah, he did that in, in an apartment. You know, great stuff. Yeah, awesome. But oh, so, I always like friendly. We were always very friendly. I think we shared. Uh, uh, after we probably looked at it later on, we figured out we probably should have been a tag team or something. You know, that would have been interesting. Yeah, and would... we just could have beat the crap out of everybody, and that would have been it. tag team champions well as we close here duke uh we've really enjoyed your story i've learned a lot from it uh just fantastic fascinating stuff thank you so Uh, much and uh we hope that you will join us next week here on wrestling rewind uh where we are here on youtube every weekend uh sundays at 7 p.m at on monty and the pharaohs network so please uh join us back next sunday and until uh then have a nice night and a nice life the same thing god bless both of you god bless